Welcome to Looking at Lucasfilm, the podcast with a different perspective on the world of Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and all of the other entities that George Lucas, Kathleen Kennedy, and the rest of the team at Lucasfilm have dreamed up over the past 40 years. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the one and only Dan Z, and I are recording this on Wednesday, October 16th. It's been a while since Dan and I recorded a show together. In fact, Dan, I, I actually I owe you a thank you because you covered for me at the Indie Disney meet when uh, Nancy and I got sick and couldn't make the drive out to Indianapolis. So uh, thanks for doing that. Hey, that that was my pleasure. Not only did I get to bring my good buddy Tom Gross, who who joins me quite a bit on Coffee with Kenobi as a CWK newsman, mm-hmm. but I got to spend a lot of time with the amazing Aaron Adams, and he is even more awesome in person. We had a blast. It was great to talk to listeners and supporters of you and the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. It, it was fun. I'm telling you what, I am. Uh, I was actually legitimately thinking about this morning how much I'm looking forward to going back next year. Well, more to the point, you guys did good work. I want to say they raised $53,000 for the yeah. uh, Give Kids the World Village. So kudos to everybody who was there. Aaron reached out, uh, Aaron Del Prince, the gentleman behind Indy Disney Meet, and was sort of like, you know, you're on board for the next one. So it's like, so I guess it's the next one. And I said yes. So, and hopefully you can come along as well. So, oh, yeah. All right. I'm looking forward to it. Okay. Anyway, folks, again, it's been a while since Dan and I've talked, and a Star Destroyer's worth of Star Wars related news has exploded in the pop culture sphere since that time so let's just get to it dan and for my way of thinking i guess the the place to start would be triple force uh friday uh, that that happened back on october 4th and i know dan from from our conversations in between recording here that you were kind of disappointed that a lot of the retailers around the country uh, and, and again you gotta understand folks that over five hundred thousand locations uh, supposedly took part in this global product rollout. Um, but but a number of retailers here in the U.S. opted not to do what they had done in the past, which was open at uh, 12.01 a.m. On, on the day of uh, Force Friday so that the most dedicated of Star Wars fans could then get the very first shot at this new merch. Yeah, this, this was a hard one for me because besides the great mythology that is the Star Wars saga... It's the collecting and the merchandise and that thrill of the hunt, that, mm. that Indiana Jones feeling we get when we're running out to stores, hoping, you know, climbing over our, our brethren, trying to get a hold of the latest Star Wars merchandise. And when you find out that they're doing it for three different stories, The Rise of Skywalker, The Mandalorian, and Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, you're expecting a lot. Mm-hmm. But the problem is that stores didn't open at midnight. And I know we're going to talk about the history of of Force Friday because there's certainly a lot uh, a lot there, a lot of pedigree there. Well, yeah. But, I mean, they, but they weren't just doing it. I, so I, I, I reached out through our Coffee with Kenobi Twitter feed to ask Target, and they said our stores are going to open at their normal times on Friday morning. And then I reached out to Walmart's PR, and they told me that there are three stores in Illinois that are going to be having festivities for Triple Force Friday. And they sent me all of them. Mm-hmm. And they were all at least two and a half hours away from me. So if they were going to open at midnight, I still have to work the next day. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't have slept at all. And I would I would not uh, be any good to anybody. So I, so I just couldn't. So Corey and I still went out and we tried just to look at stuff. Walmart didn't have anything out for us. Uh, Target closed at their normal time. So we basically just recorded a segment uh, talking about what we were hoping for, and you know, again, it's not—it's disappointment that I was didn't get that experience. This is the last movie in the Skywalker saga, the, the the illustrious Skywalker saga. For multiple films, I got to experience part that part of that Star Wars experience is Force Friday, and not getting it for the last one—it was kind of puzzling to me because I feel like you need to go out with a bang, and it kind of went out with more of a hooray. And it's interesting you say that because because you're right you know that there was the the first Force Friday held back in September 2015 and that was out ahead of Force Awakens which opened in December uh, 18th of that year and then the next one what's kind of interesting about the one that was done for Rogue One is that if you do talk with the folks at Disney Consumer Products 
They don't necessarily consider that a Force Friday because, again, Force Friday 2 uh, was done in 2017 out ahead of uh, Last Jedi. So Right. That was, the Rogue One one they called Rogue Friday. There we go. And, okay. and that one will always be incredibly important to me because that's the one that I I did the Target commercial for. That's right. That's right. And, and so, yes, you're right. You know, the notion of, you know, here's the... Third film of the new trilogy and the end of the Star Wars, or excuse me, the Skywalker saga. And you'd expect this to be a big thing. And what's what's kind of interesting from my side of the fence is, again, you reach out to Walmart and, and Target. I reached out to my friends at, at Disney Consumer Products, which again now has been lumped into Disney Parks and Experiences and Products. That's all under Bob Chapek's Ballywick. These days, and they had kind of an, an interesting story to tell that that really does sort of not necessarily key off of what happened with Last Jedi, but more to the point, what happened with uh, Solo, a Star Wars story. Which, uh, by the way, you and I, Dan, have talked about at length. Uh, we both enjoy this film, but if you know, the interesting thing is you talk with people on the retail side of things and. It's a very different story. There's a genuine belief that, at least on the Disney consumer product side of things, that it was a mistake to bring to have two Star Wars films basically arrive in theaters within six months of one another, especially when you consider how you know retail works. So the Force Friday of Last Jedi that happened. I mean that that was uh, the earliest, wasn't it? September first, two thousand seventeen. Yeah, and the film wouldn't arrive in theaters till December seventeenth. There are actually several waves of, of merch in the retail world. You, you get stuff that hits store shelves early. You then get a second wave of product that arrives pretty much in the same window as the actual film hitting theaters, and then there's a third wave. That's supposed to key off of the Blu-ray DVD, which typically hits store shelves uh, three months after the theatrical release. And this was the situation with with, with Last Jedi. The, the Blu-ray hit store shelves on March 27th of 2018. But the problem is that here is Solo, a Star Wars story. DVD released in the theaters May 25th. So in order to have the traditional at least six weeks ahead for that first wave of merch, um, that meant that the the first wave of solo stuff showed up in the retail space in April uh, April thirteenth of two thousand eighteen, and and again this is now just basically two and a half weeks after the Blu Ray of the Last Jedi has gone on sale, and and you're a retail and. You know, you have only so much shelf space in your store, and you've got all of this Last Jedi-related stuff that you're still hoping to sell because the Blu-ray has raised awareness of of this film. And now you here comes a wave of, of Solo a Star Wars story stuff, which you now have to create space for in the store, prominently display because that's the contract you've signed, but at the same time keep, you know, the the Star Wars Last Jedi stuff front of mind. And um, it became a very tough situation. In fact, a lot of retailers reported back to Disney that, you know, they felt that, you know, by these two films being out in basically the same retail window, basically crowded each other out for shelf space. They confused consumers. You know, and the weird part of it is uh, when Nates and I were out actually uh, on the morning of Force Friday looking for, you know, merch related to the rise of Skywalker, we came across uh, several solo items that were still sitting there on shore shelves that had yet to sell. So to circle back to why, instead of a, you know, hey, big push, this is the last film of the the Skywalker saga, that somewhat, uh, you know, mediocre response, uh, it not only came on the heels of the fact that you know, uh, the big box stores were feeling kind of burned by Disney consumer products because of what had happened with Solo and the amount of product they were stuck with. But uh, there was actually considerable pushback 
over the fact that this retail rollout, that this product rollout, wasn't just focused on the last uh, film of the Skywalker saga, that it was also Mandalorian, which is, you know, kind of an unknown quantity at this point, uh, coupled with the Electronic Arts game. And, you know, to further muddy the water, somewhat it is a consumer product, got the smart idea, well, hell, if we're, we're doing this big event for Star Wars, why don't we piggyback our first wave of Frozen merch uh, for Frozen 2, uh, you know, in stores at the same time. And and that particularly, I think, the people who are in charge of the, the Star Wars account are especially upset about what happened with Target in regard to the situation. Or do, have you been to your, your local Target since uh, Force Friday, Dan? Uh, just on Force Friday itself, but I haven't been back since. What? Okay. Uh, tell me about this. What happened? If you walk into your local Target now, literally as you come through the door, the very first thing you're going to see is a Frozen 2 standalone store. They're contractually obligated to put this as close to the entrance as they possibly can. I want to say for some stores it's 1,200 square feet, some it's 1,500 square feet, Uh, but it's a huge display. And, you know, the irony is in the past, if you remember when you'd go to Target where they literally had those those things they put over the window where it was stormtroopers, you know, effectively guarding the store. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 The very first thing you would have saw was Star Wars. But, you know, that, that you know, in this time around, it was Frozen 2 that basically put Star Wars in the shadows. I mean, you had to hike all the way to the back of the store to find the special Star Wars, you know, a Triple Force Friday display, you know. And, um, yeah, not a lot of people happy about that. So, uh, speaking of which, all right, so, so talk to me. When you finally got back, uh, I, and again, I know you, you went around to the local stores the night of Triple Force to try to get a preview. When you actually got back into the store, what, what was your shopping experience? It was cool. I mean, uh, you know, I, after collecting for since I was seven years old, I kind of have a a way of doing things and where to find things and all that mm-hmm. good stuff. But I went to three different WalMarts and two Targets, and I found everything that I needed. Mm-hmm. The best part is I got to bring my six year old Mason with me, oh. and it was his first Force Friday event, even though it wasn't what it what it used to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he didn't know the difference. He and his dad just had fun going to shop. In fact, at school, he wrote a note. Said he was excited to go buy Star Wars toys with his daddy, and that you know that that honestly was better to me than anything that could have possibly happened. And that that is just why I think it's so important that we continue as a Star Wars community to encourage Disney and Lucasfilm in a positive way to try to foster more of this because it really is a great experience for friends and family to share their love of this mythology together. And plus, you know, we buy stuff. <laughs> well, that that's true. Now, now mind you. In Nancy's my case, she taught a water aerobics class that morning, so we weren't able to, to really begin shopping on, on Triple Force Friday till almost 10 a.m. And our our first stop was our our local Disney store at the uh, Merrimack Outlets. And what was kind of interesting about what Disney did in order to get people uh, to shop, I guess it was the first 50 shoppers who came in who spent twenty dollars on on Star Wars related merch. They they had this uh, set of three lithos. Uh, one was the the early teaser poster for uh, the Rise of Skywalker, uh, a great image setting up the the Mandalorian series over Disney Plus, and of course a piece of art for uh, Jedi uh, Fallen Order. Fallen, yeah, Fallen Order, Order. Um, mm-hmm. the Electronic Arts game, and then from there, that's again because we live in the woods. You know that we have our Target, we have our Walmart, and. Um, clearly in both cases, the Star Wars fans had been there ahead of us. It was pretty slim pickings, though. Oddly enough, I did get the one thing I was kind of interested in. In fact, I'm, I'm holding it in my hand now. There was a Funko pop of the, the new droid for Dio. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I, I have to tell you, Dan, that. One of the reasons I bought this is I, it kind of reminds me of 
Snoopy. It's such a minimalist design. It, it, yeah, that's actually a, an apt comparison, especially the original Charles Schultz drawings. <laughs> yeah. So it was like, okay, you know, I'll, I'll take that home. It sits on my desk because it amuses me. I have no idea what role he plays in the movie, but, you know, it's like, okay, got to have that. But let's see. Uh, in regard to other Triple Force Friday related news, of course, again, you know, you, you can't have an event like this without some controversy. And I guess it was just last week after Triple Force that suddenly all these stories began to bubble up about the lack of Rose Tico merch. Uh, you must have seen some of those, Dan. You know, I only know about that because some of my friends texted me because I, I've i seriously developed sort of a, a side hustle of muting people who complain about Star Wars on Twitter so much that I don't see too much of it anymore. Well, that's that. <laughs> I'll have to start doing that because uh, I actually, I, I reached out to, to folks at Disney Consumer Products to say, okay, so... Do you guys have a response here? <laughs> and the interesting thing that I got back was I had talked about this, I think, with Drew over on Fine Tuning, that the, the whole notion of that, you know, for example, Hasbro was holding back 35% of the toys that they had created for uh, The Rise of Skywalker because they gave away key story points. You know, that the Disney rep was just sort of like, you're not seeing Rose Tico stuff because of what Rose does in this movie. That we've specifically been asked to hold her stuff back because it gives away a key, you know, a story point. And I, I just found that fascinating because it's like, okay. Uh, and it's like, hmm, interesting that whatever the, the toy, the, the costume they selected for uh, for the rose figures going out would give away something important for the films. This is so and, ironic considering um, there was a, a very small but very loud percentage of of people who were complaining about Rose as a character and now they're complaining there isn't enough merchandise. <laughs> well, you know, that, you know, there are people will, who will complain if they're hung with a new rope, you know, that they have to find, you know, something to complain about. Um, on the other hand, the, the talk about the more positive aspect of the Star Wars fan community. I don't know if you saw the story that broke just today. Entertainment Weekly is doing their fall movie preview issue. And in this issue, they, they put in one photo from uh, this upcoming J.J. Abrams film. And it's of the uh, the Zori Bliss character. Uh, this is the one that Carrie Russell is playing in the movie. Right. And basically, if you look at this shot, it's... The Zori Bliss character in costume, uh, and she's handing a, a round medallion disc-like object to uh, who appears to be Oscar Isaac's characters in the Star Wars movies, Poe Dameron, and and so yeah, and again, it's just from this one image and what was fascinating inside of like an hour or so of time online. Uh, someone who had actually gone out on Triple Force Friday and bought the C-3PO, uh, the six-inch uh, figure from the Black Series, uh, noticed that with this six-inch figure, you can take the back of C-3PO's head off, and there on the back of the head is a shape just like this disc that Zori Bliss is handing to Poe Dameron. And they were able to suss out, okay, so that's there. And then from that sizzle reel that they showed at the D23 Expo back in August, where there's this quick image of C-3PO with bright red eyes. And so, that's right. <laughs> you know, what's fascinating to me is inside of an hour, uh, you know, from this shot showing up at, you know, Entertainment Weekly online, uh, the fan community had done all this detective work, and it's like, that's the disc that's used to reprogram C-3PO and, you know, The Rise of Skywalker. And it's just sort of like, you know, they, they've been waiting to figure out, well, how did his eyes turn red? So, again, that side of the community, when they can move as a group that quickly and, and share info and theories, that's when the Star Wars community just delights me. Oh yeah, it's, there's there's a lot of great detective work, and it, it makes it tricky for a guy like me who doesn't speculate because I'd rather deal with what is than what might be. Because I end up finding myself 
disappointed because I get my hopes up for certain things. So I try to be very zen about it. Mm -hmm. But it's hard not to be excited, especially, I mean, that's kind of been some of the fun uh, with some of the Hasbro stuff and Kenner stuff over the years. Oh, yeah. Where they would give you some insights into things. It's usually never enough to really give away anything major. Mm -hmm. And unless, of course, you're talking about the Phantom Menace album. where John Wayne, the, one of the title tracks revealed the death of Qui-Gon Jinn, but we can talk about that another time. Well, I'm still not over that. Yeah, you know. It's been 20 years. <laughs> okay, well, jeez, oh, folks. Right, here we are, halfway into today's show. We've only covered Triple Force Friday. All right, tell you what, when, when Dan and I get back from this commercial, we're really going to pick up the pace. Okay, so we're back, and now officially, Dan, we are entering the Force Lightning Round. We have a lot of news yeah. to catch up on, so let's just get to it. I we need to say, don't we need to say, buckle up, baby. That's what we'd say before we hit light speed. There we go. Okay. Um, all right. For me, uh, I, these are kind of in, in random order, but I wanted to start with a big one because I wanted uh, your thoughts on this. So back on September 25th, the Entertainment Trades announced that Kevin Feige is being given the right to develop a Star Wars film for Lucasfilm. I have to ask, what did you think when when that news came through? I was so excited, I was practically shaking. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's he's one of the great storytellers of uh, the last 10 years, 10, 15 years. And I, for some reason at D23, I saw him. I didn't get to talk to him, but he was pretty close to me. Mm. I just remember thinking, boy, if this guy got a hold of Star Wars, wouldn't that be phenomenal? Uh, I think it's absolutely terrific news. I I don't I know what we're going to talk about. I I know what I hope it's not. Mm-hmm. There are certain characters that shouldn't come back. Um, well, you know, okay, the only, I know I know the only person that never comes back is Uncle Ben. <laughs> but you know, come on, give me a break, people. Okay, so uh, to, to what Dan is referring to here is that Kevin, as he was talking about this opportunity, mentioned that he'd already. Uh, spoken with at least one performer who had been in the Marvel Cinematic Universe about, you know, that, oh, this is character I'd love you to play. And, you know, what was fascinating is to to immediately watch, again, both the Marvel fan community and the Star Wars fan community try to suss out who that might be. And the number one candidate was Samuel L. Jackson, who, of course, you know, played, you know, Mace Window, who, you know, we saw basically blasted out a window in... Uh, Revenge of the Sith. And what's interesting is Samuel himself has sort of talked about this in the past. It's like, look, we didn't see him die. He, he flew out a window. He could be alive. Um, you, but <laughs> Dan and I, in pre-gaming, you're not a fan of this idea, right? Not at all. I mean, it, he he got his arm cut off by Anakin and, and shot out a window while being infused with the Emperor's Sith lightning. And it, it is, it's white hot and most angry no, he's not alive. I mean, why? Let's let some characters move on to the Force and and find some new characters. I, though I do like the the other person that seems to be campaigning for Star Wars. I would be okay with this. Oh yeah, well that that's that's the funniest part. That Brie Larson, the the talented young woman who played the title character in Marvel's Captain Marvel movie earlier this year, has made absolutely no bones about, you know, that's like, I want to be in a Star Wars movie. So it's just sort of like, I don't care what character I'm playing, I just want to be in a Star Wars movie. So um, <laughs> it'll be interesting to see if she gets the Daniel Craig treatment. You know, that, that you know that story, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. The stormtrooper that tortures Rey, uh, who, that when she uses, really the first time she uses the, the Jedi mind tricks. Yeah, yeah that... that the, the gentleman who's in that Stormtrooper outfit is Daniel Craig. Uh, I want to be in a Star Wars movie. It's like, okay, you're going to be in there, but you know nobody's going to know who you are. Anyway, to, to, to get back to, you know, we were all excited when this news broke on September 25th. And then just today, you know, news breaks that Kevin Feige has been named the chief creative officer of Marvel Studios. And... The guy is now in charge of all of the movies, all of the TV shows, everything Dis- they're doing at Disney+. Plus. He's even going to be consulting on, you know, what publishing is up to because, of course, you know, Marvel Studios, you know, spends a lot of its time cherry-picking product out that they then use to make the movies. And suddenly this guy's dance card got very, very full and... and now people are wondering, will he, in fact, actually have time to develop 
you know, a Star Wars film, which, you know, the Dark Lord giveth and the Dark Lord taketh away. So, <laughs> um, so. anyway, so any thoughts on that? Or I, I think that this is uh, something that crossed my mind when I saw that, but, but we don't really have a time to. We know that he is going to work on a Star Wars film, but, I mean, there's got to be gaps in different things, you know? I mean... I mean, I know Marvel's got a, a lot of movies coming out over the next couple of years, mm-hmm. thankfully. But I can't imagine if they've got a, an idea that he wants to pursue. I mean, it's going to make money. Mm-hmm. So at some mm-hmm. point he's going to, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. It's hard to tell with this kind of stuff. There's always so many balls that they're juggling. But he seems to be quite adept at being able to multitask. I mean, he's oh, a very God, creative yes. guy that he's got a My gosh, he's, is there anybody who has more power or sway in Hollywood right now than him? Well, more to the point, I think for me, it's the the consistency. I mean, you know, there is a level of quality from the original Iron Man in two thousand eight all the way through to well, hell, you know that he, he had a pretty heavy hand on Spider Man Far From Home. So, you know, and I just love that there's a consistent feel and a, a level of quality to these things. So, yeah, I'd I'd love to see him work on a Star Wars film. But yeah, it just you know where where do you squeeze that in with that schedule? No, but I, the nice thing though is when this news was breaking and it it looked like Kevin might not get that opportunity. At least we got a little good news to balance it out, and that was of course that uh, Tony Gilroy, the talented writer director who came to the rescue on Rogue One, has been signed to now write and direct the Cassian Andor series for Disney Plus. Um. What, what was your take on that news, Dan? Oh, I think it's great. I mean, he obviously already is uh, very much on the pulse of these characters anyway from that era, that wonderful mm-hmm. era in the history of Star Wars. So I think it's great. I mean, this is, again, more encouragement. And we saw how much Disney is spending budgetary-wise on The Mandalorian and these these Marvel mm-hmm. shows for Disney+. Plus. So the fact that they're getting this kind of talent to create the stories, I mean, the story has to drive everything. George Lucas has always said that, and we've seen proof of that. I mean, when a story is done well, anything can happen, and it's usually quite good. So I think this is very, it's like kind of a shot of adrenaline, really. Well, what's kind of intriguing for me is that this one right up front, they've mentioned, is more of a spy thriller. That Again, we've got Diego Luna coming back to, to play Andor, and the conceit this time around is it's going to tell stories in that space before the story we saw in Rogue One. That's um, right. So yep. it has to because the end of Rogue One, he's he's dead. Well, there you go. There you <laughs> there's go. there's that little <laughs> Sherlock Holmes moment I had. You know, well, you know, uh, uh, what is it? The wreck and bike falls, right? I mean, you know, again, <laughs> Mace Window fell out a window, and uh, yes. maybe last minute, you know, the, Thanos snapped a, him uh, back. There'd be a crossover. Okay, there you go. Oh, 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 by the way, but but since we're talking about television-related projects and that sort of thing, uh, Rise of the Resistance came back on. Uh, excuse me, not Rise of the Resistance. Star Wars Resistance uh, came back on Disney XD, uh, starting on October sixth. And we're two episodes in at this point. Uh, I know you've seen a couple of them at this point. Yeah, I've seen the first three. Only the first two are out, at least at the time of this recording. But I've seen the first three. Okay. And what's your take on this? I mean, again, it's kind of interesting for me that they are definitely syncing up, you know, with the events in the timeline of uh, The Force Awakens. I thought they, they had done a decent job of deepening the character of Kaz by showing that you know, it looked like his family had been wiped out when the planet killer uh, weapon had been fired. And, but just episode two, they revealed that at least a few members of his family had survived. Oh, yeah, yeah, which was which was very encouraging. I didn't, it changes sort of the, well, I don't know if it changes the impact of, of that powerful scene in the end of season one, because Kaz still mm-hmm. thought that his parents were gone, so they didn't take it away there. But it is kind of nice to see a, a Star Wars hero that still has their parents intact you know avoiding that avoiding that trope that's cool but the level of storytelling is really quite engaging and i like how they're running parallel with the force awakens and the last jedi it's kind of fun to do mix and match and sort of Mm -hmm. in your mind kind of make a linear timeline of how where kaz fits into all these things 
It's been fun. This is a fun series. If people are sleeping on this thing, you need to watch it because it's great fun. And, know, and I, season I, one will be on Disney Plus, so that'll be easy to catch up. That it will. That is true. I, I guess for me, given that right up front they talked about how they were viewing uh, Star Wars Resistance as sort of an entry point for younger Star Wars fans, and in fact, uh, the whole idea of the racers around uh, Colossus Station was supposed to create. Yet another revenue stream for the Disney Consumer Products folks. But me personally, I, I'm kind of intrigued with the the story arc for Tam. Uh, I oh, can yeah. Only, I, I, I'm a little intrigued by the how quickly one be, can become a pilot in the First Order. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to be intrigued to see whether or not they, how far they go with this. You know, especially with the notion that this is... Star Wars supposedly, you know, again, an entry point for the the franchise for younger children about how dark they're going to go with with that character's story arc. And you also wonder, because it's been kind of a similar beat of her having to sort of struggle with, do I want to help the Resistance? Do I believe in Mm -hmm. what they're, or not the Resistance, do I want to help the First Order? Am I still upset at Kaz and everyone for lying to me? Or, Or do I, you know, do I listen to my gut or do I listen to... My brain, I'm not really sure where to go. I can't imagine that's going to drag on for the entire season. And I don't mean drag mm-hmm. as a pejorative. I just mean if they're going to loop that one through. Because mm-hmm. I, I do like what they're doing with it. And you just don't want Tam to go down that path. You know, once yeah, you go no, down no, the I dark agree. dark path, yeah. forever will dominate your destiny. And we I don't want that. So it's fun. and It definitely adds another level to this thing. Okay. that This is true. By the way, uh, speaking of a recent Star Wars-related uh, news, uh, this one just tickled me so much, and I thought, you know, Dan, the English teacher's got to love this. But did you, did you see what happened just yesterday with the Oxford English Dictionary? Oh, it's glorious. So, all right, so, so if you missed the news, folks, um, the, the Oxford English Dictionary, you know, the lexicon, if you're, you're someone like Dan and myself who work with words, they've officially adopted, uh, what is it, Jedi, Padawan, and lightsaber. That's right. Uh, into the words they, they believe are an acceptable part of the English language. They were a strong enough part of the pop culture that they had to be folded into the next edition of the book. Um, but, but did you see how they changed the entries for both Force and Mind Trick? No. To, oh, well, they actually added an addendum to the effect of, for the term Force, they actually say, see Jedi. <laughs> you know, or, you know, for that matter, if you, you use the term Mind Trick, again, they reference, please see Jedi. Mind Do you trick. mean Force is in, like, the actual... Uh, definition of the of the word force is a verb. They, Absolutely. Oh, that's Absolutely. beautiful. And I can legitimately say, and I'm not ashamed of this at all. I I will sometimes peruse the OED as for leisure reading. I love words, so this is really cool to me. Yeah, no, no, I agree. I agree. Though, go speaking of books. Uh, well, you and I have to talk about uh, Bob Iger's uh, yes. memoir, the Uncle Bob of a Life. That's right. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, again, I'm always fascinated by the way news bubbles up. You know, I mean, for example, you know, I read this book when it came out earlier this month, and it's been fascinating over the last week to 10 days to watch how certain members of the Star Wars community have taken what Iger wrote and sort of twisted it into a weapon to go after the way uh, the Disney Company and especially Kathleen Kennedy are handling the franchise. They they made a particularly large kerfuffle over the fact that you know when George handed off the Star, well, he didn't hand off. He was hand, handed four billion five hundred uh, million dollars for the uh, the company, but or th- no no five hundred thousand dollars for the company. Excuse me. But, you know, that Disney opted not to use the outlines for the next trilogy that George wrote. And and that's the thing, though. It's like Disney bought Lucasfilm. And as the new owner of this franchise, of this IP, um, they were looking to connect the next set of trilogy, the next set of films that they were doing, back to the original trilogy. 
so, or excuse me, the, yeah, and the the original trilogy, not the prequels. I don't want to stress that. Um, so, you know, they decided to go with, you know, their own story and that sort of thing. And and George has been relatively vocal about this over time. And, you know, there was a, what, that Larry King interview where he mentioned, uh, you know, <laughs> that it was like kind of selling your children to the white slavers. You know, the interesting thing about Rise of Lifetime is it mentions that Lucas then reached out to Bob Iger, particularly when that story bubbled up, and said, I misspoke, I shouldn't have said that. I, you know, it's just, if you cherry pick stuff out of a book like this, it's relatively easy to, to create sort of a faux headline, especially in in this, you know, our social media world, you know, to say say something is, you know, potentially clickbait worthy as offensive as possible. And I think, again, that's, that's what they, um, this, the way this story, at least to, to my take on it, Dan was twisted. I mean, what was your response when you saw this coming out? I mean, the, the stuff about his, his having a hard time Mm -hmm. saying kind of goodbye to these characters in this mythology, that was his life's work. You know that is make him famous for forever. I mm-hmm. like that made him more relatable and more human. And negotiations have got to be tough, especially with two, you know, giants in the industry. So that part was hard. The his comments um, about selling his children obviously was in, in horribly poor taste. Mm-hmm. He he made that right by by talking to Bob and uh, personally and explaining himself. Uh, that was just very nasty and unfortunate. It shows the very, very human side of things. No, that's... And, that's and so that's exactly. tough. I mean, I, I'm sure he would have taken that back in a heartbeat if he could. But I, I was, mm-hmm. I, you know, I was more compelled with uh, the challenge of selling Star Wars and these characters and, and it, how much he loved them. And it was it was nice for me as, as a lifelong fan of this wonderful franchise to, to see... How much that pulled at his heartstrings, uh, you know, very bittersweet, uh, kind of, kind well, of lovely. You know, in fact, you know, what's kind of interesting, and in, in, especially for me, I want to recommend if you haven't read Brian J. Jones's book, he's he's written both a, an amazing biography on George Lucas as well as an equally amazing biography of Jim Henson. And what was interesting in both cases. When, uh, you know, Henson, for example, went to sell, you know, the Muppets uh, the, the first time around for, uh, uh, I want to say, $150 million to Disney in, in uh, 1989, um, he cited almost the exact same thing that George did. You know, to the effect of he wanted it to, he wanted his characters to wind up in the hands of Disney because they are so good at at, you know, it's a company of keeping things evergreen, at, at keeping characters front of mind. I mean, for example, think of, of Mickey Mouse. Like, again, a character introduced in 1928 who, you know, this time next year, there'll be a brand new attraction opened at Disney's Hollywood Studios, Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. Uh, there's the, you know, absolutely delightful series of shorts that have been created for the the Disney Channel. In fact, that's what this attraction is going to be made of. This is a character who just, you know, last year they had that year-long celebration of his, you know, 80th anniversary. And kind of hopeful having seen, you know, Star Wars, you know, the weekend I graduated from high school in 1977. I'd like to think come 2077 or 2057 at the 80th anniversary of Star Wars, you know, that these characters will still be front of mind, that these will... You know, and and a lot of that'll be on the back of Disney's skill of of keeping characters out there. That said, though, Dan, I, one of the things that fascinated me about this book is that Iger didn't necessarily sugarcoat things. Um, you know, when George initially approached Disney about selling Lucasfilm, he he flat out said, uh, "You know, I want the the Pixar deal." And you got to remember that, that Disney bought Pixar for $7.4 billion uh, back in January of 2006. And, but that was after Iger. In fact, Iger mentions in the book how he went up to uh, Emeryville and they showed him the next six movies that Pixar was going to make. And there was this whole operating factory you know, of, of new product and of the older films uh, Disney could work with. So it's like that made sense where... With Lucasfilm, it was like, well, look, you know, uh, 
you're, you know, Iger flat out told him, you're not going to get the Pixar deal. You know, we'll send folks up to discreetly go through your files and look over the product and that sort of thing. And uh, after going, you know, going up to uh, Skywalker Ranch and, and going through all the material they had there, they came back and said, well, look, Mr. Iger, based on what we can determine, a, a fair price for Lucasfilm is either somewhere between $3.5 billion and... Three point seven five billion, and and Iger was a good enough reader of of people and egos to know that if he approached George with that price, which was less than Disney had paid for Marvel back in August of two thousand nine, that they remember they bought Marvel for four billion dollars, that George was going to balk, and so. Uh, you know, so, you know, Iker thought about it and he talks about it in the book how it's like, well, you know, okay, four billion and then an, another 500,000, you know, so that way we paid Lucas more money than we did Marvel, you know, so he, he has that for bragging rights. But the interesting thing is that Iker felt that given we're spending that much more money, for Star Wars, you know, the uh, that was the part of the book that, that absolutely fascinated me, Dan, where he talked about how, you know, they were originally going to stick with the classic Star Wars uh, release pattern, you know, a new movie every three years or so. And they were like, geez, you know, we're going to have to make that money back. So maybe we can do a new Star Wars movie every two years or, or faster than that. And, and you know, to circle back on what we were talking about at the top of the show what was uh, Last Jedi and Solo, that uh, it turns out there's a ceiling on how often people want to see a new Star Wars movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I still think that has been sort of the albatross that we've had a hard time shaking, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really, really, really hopeful that The Rise of Skywalker will bring the box office... Um, juggernaut revelations that we know Star Wars to be so we can put that to rest. Now, speaking of, of the Star Wars movies and uh, such and, and what Disney's done with the franchise since, um, we of course have to talk about Galaxy's Edge. Uh, and what's interesting to me is, again, again, since we've recorded last, uh, we see Disney tweaking. Uh, for example, uh, out at Disneyland, the, the Galaxy's Edge out there, they've, they've actually begun to introduce new menu items uh, based on guest responses. So first time ever, you go into Ronto's Roasters, you can get uh, a veggie-type uh, meal. Uh, likewise, you can do the same thing at Docking Bay 7. Um, I know this will be something, you know, will make you happy, Dan, but they've instituted a, a policy at Disneyland now where you can book uh, reservations at Oga's Cantina as far as 60 days out. So, yeah. you know, so for someone like yourself who's, you know, traveling all the way cross country uh, and wants to absolutely positively get in, um, the fact that, you know, you can lock that reservation in that far in advance, I mean, that's going to be a relief for a lot of folks. Oh, it's great. I think that's great. I, 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 I wouldn't be sad, though, if they said you can't book until the day of. I feel like mm-hmm. that would just give people more of a fighting chance because sometimes you don't know until, you know, you're right on top of the date. But six months out is much more reasonable, and that's how they do things at Disney World. That's true. That's it. Though, again, this is not six months out. This is 60 days out. Though right. I bet you, I bet you the Orlando one, you know, that six months out is, is entirely possible. I Yeah, that must have been what was going on in my brain. I, I, I must okay. have been thinking about some of the drinks at Oga's. <laughs> Okay, uh, another, uh, frankly, another bit of good news um, that, you know, broke since we were away was that uh, the images that began to bubble up online uh, from inside of Rise of the Resistance. Uh, in fact, I, I think Bob Iger himself went on Twitter to talk about how he and a set of executives at Disney had ridden, you know, ridden the attraction, how it, and it was... Uh, you know, uh, literally next level stuff for Walt Disney Imagineering that, he, you know, he can't wait for the public to actually start to get to experience this attraction. And, and so, again, still December 5th for Walt Disney World, right? And yes, that's then January like uh, for California. 
Uh, so again, good news, folks. I know a lot of us have been concerned about actually going to make that, you know, to make that opening. It looks like it's a thing now. What was more interesting to, to talking about uh, California and LA? Did, did you catch the piece that Todd Martins wrote for the Los Angeles Times about Galaxy's Edge? What works? What doesn't? I saw that because our good friend Drew Taylor posted it on Twitter, so I followed the link through his feed, and yeah, I thought it was a, a very well written, very thoughtful, thoughtful piece. Yeah, I mean, a Todd made a lot of excellent points, and I, I think you know one of the things he he actually you know sort of moves to the front is that in a lot of ways he thinks that that Disney overthought. The land that you know, there's there's stuff that's that's absolutely wonderful, but on the other hand, uh, you know, it's just the notion of, you know, I I don't want to fly the Millennium Falcon to go get some coaxium. You know, it's just sort of like I I want to fly the Millennium Falcon like I saw Han do in all of those movies, and 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 I get the whole thing of why. The Imagineers made a conscious decision that, you know, you shouldn't be going to Tatooine. You shouldn't be going to Mos Eisley. This is all about um, your adventure. You're not having Luke's adventure. You're having your adventure. But, uh, you know, to sort of bring things back to George, what I, I, I love about George Lucas is that he is a really put the hay down where the goats can get get at it kind of a guy? Um, have you ever heard the story about when they were they were doing the updates for Star Tours? No, and you know, and they were discussing all the places you know that they they wanted the branching things to send folks to, and it was, and so George is. is you know, literally at the table, and they're talking about okay. So you know, we'll send them back to Hoth, and you know they'll they'll be threatened by a wampa, and they'll suddenly be in the middle of the battle, and you know, flying between the legs of the attack vehicles and that sort of thing. And there was this one Imagineer who raised his hands at the meeting, and it's like, you know, Mister Lucas, this is this is set in the time of the prequels. You know, they're. they're there wasn't a, a rebel base on Hoth at that time, and the room got really, really quiet. And this is, you know, George was like, yeah, so? You know, I mean, people are going to want to do this. Why don't we just give the people what they want to do? And, you know, don't worry that it's out of time or it's out of context. This is something that people would enjoy, and that's why that wound up in the rotation, that George wasn't wasn't a stickler to, well, you know, it it can't be because this is the wrong time period. That's, for example, how you got the, um, you know, that, that wonderful pre-flight sequence where it's, it's, you know, Darth Vader in full costume, you know, who's stopping your vehicle. Or if you watch in the background, it's, it's you know, Han and Chewie with the Millennium Falcon. It's out of time. Yeah, I get that. But it's like, this is still what the fans want. So why don't we give the fans what they want? And I just want to preface this by saying that that supposedly now is the new design aesthetic for the next set of Galaxy's Edges. And in fact, as I understand it, they're even looking for a different name. So, um, oh, wow. You know, I'm just going to say, just going to put that out there and that. Uh, you know, the Disneyland Paris one, we probably won't see till uh, 2025. And uh, you may need to get a plane ticket to Paris, Dan. I, yeah, I'm just saying, I get that, you know. that passport dusted off. I, uh, the only thing I want to say about Todd's, Todd's article we're talking about, I'd I like to see this idea revisited after Rise of the Resistance has been open for six months. If people still are, are kind of balking at some of the notions uh, of Galaxy's Edge, then, okay, I think we can talk. But until it's fully complete, if anything, it may have been open a little too early, although I certainly have amazing memories of this of Galaxy's Edge. And, and we'll go back in a heartbeat. I've been back, you know, twice. I've back through those gates five times on the West Coast. Looking <laughs> forward to going very soon on the East Coast. And mm-hmm. I think the place is absolutely heaven. I mean, it's heaven. I, I mean... I'm a massive Star Wars fan, as are many of us. And yes, I would love to 
fly, you know, through the Death Star trenches or, you know, go through an asteroid field or do all those things. But I didn't feel cheated on the on the ride because of what it offered. I just thought I'm in the cockpit of the Falcon, and that's all I could that's all I could think about. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I mean, I I, I, lo- I do love Todd's article. I think it's it's it's, it's no, it's beautifully it, it, written. It's, it's a great piece, folks. It, yeah. it ran on October seventh, Los Angeles Times, and if you haven't read it, yet, go check that out. And speaking of things you you should check out. Uh, my co-host, Cesare, has so many wonderful podcasts that, that relate to the amazing world of the Star Wars. Dan, please walk us through those now so people know where to go and where else to find you. Oh, sure. Well, th- well, thank you, Jim. Very kind of you. Yeah, Coffee with Kenobi is our weekly show. We try to make you think about Star Wars and laugh at the same time. We cover news. We analyze the films, the comic books, the TV shows, soon to be Disney+. Plus. Try to go to as many events as we can, theme parks, all that good stuff. We uh, we we like talking Star Wars, and we love to have you join us. You can all, we also have a Patreon page where you have access to CWK Prover, which is our weekly show where we look at Star Wars and other pop culture as well. Very cool. Okay. Also here at, at Jim Hill Media, we have some other podcasts. We have the Disney Dish that I do with Lentesta. You just talked about Drew Taylor, so he and I do the fine tuning together. Uh, Aaron Adams, the gentleman who does a lot of the editing here, uh, he and I do the Marvel Us Disney podcast, which talks about uh, kind of everything that's going on with Marvel Entertainment. Also have Universal Joint with Dustin Fuse, and he and I will be doing an event down at Universal next month, which is, by the way, at some point during that event, Dan, I promise I'll sneak away. And go check out the, the Disney Hollywood Studios version of Galaxy's Edge. And Oh, yeah, and please do. And speaking of which, uh, Michelle Valladolid, who I do the I Want That podcast with, uh, is down at Walt Disney World right now uh, checking out all of the merch uh, at the resort. And we will be doing a big show once she gets back. And speaking of the shows here, folks, if you could do myself and Dan a favor, I'm going to go both for the Coffee with Kenobi as well as Looking with Lucasfilm. If you could head over to iTunes and rate or recommend our shows, uh, that helps throw additional ears and eyeballs our way. Um, on the other hand, if you really, really, really like what we do here at Jim Hill Media, if you could subscribe to Bandcamp, uh, that does keep help keep the lights on. And I think at this point, Dan, we are caught up. Um, I love it. Which, of course, means that while we were recording, some huge chunk of Star Wars-related news just broke, and we're uh, going to have to hurry back and do a new show to get that. But for now, folks, uh, thank you so much for listening, and Dan and I will hopefully be back soon.